for we adore thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Melts the clouds of sin and sadness. Thank you for joining us for this program from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now, we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. So, have you ever seen something so shocking or unbelievable that even after seeing it, you still, and I messed up the typo there, weren't sure you saw what you saw? Does that make sense? Have you ever seen something so shocking, even after seeing it, you weren't so sure you saw what you actually saw. Maybe it was an amazing play. Maybe it was some magic trick or really an illusion. Maybe, you, maybe it was, I don't know, something your, your child did. You're like, I can't believe that person did that. Uh, I forget what it was, but it happened so often, it seems. But we were in the car, and I did or said something. And Catherine said, I can't believe you did that. And I wanted to look at her and say, are you, are you sure? Like, you're actually shocked? Like, does this actually surprise you anymore? And, uh, but sometimes we see things, even after seeing them, we really have a hard time even believing it. And I imagine that's what it was like for those in, uh, in John chapter 6. So if you want to go to John chapter 6, this, we're talking about these I am statements. We'll be looking at I am the bread of life. But in context, we have to really start at the beginning of John 6. And I imagine... This is what these, this crowd felt when they saw Jesus do something incredible. So in John chapter 6, it says, A large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So at least at this point, there's a large crowd collecting in front of Jesus because of what he's doing and possibly because of what he's saying. And as they're collecting and as they're, 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 they're listening to him, it comes time to eat lunch. And in the office, we call that, what is it, 1100. When it's 1100, we know it's time to eat. And uh, sometimes we'll be in the middle of doing something, someone will be like, well, it's almost 1100. Let's put a pause and we, we got we to gotta go get some food. Because if you don't eat, you're not productive. You, don't, you, you can't get focused. So it's 1100, probably more like noon. But it's lunchtime. And Jesus, I like this, Jesus kind of knows what's going to happen. He kind of knows when he asks questions. There's very rare, actually, there's never a time Jesus asks a question that he doesn't already know what their answer is going to be. And uh, sometimes we ask those questions. And uh, sometimes it's also nice to never ask a question that you don't want the answer to. But here we are in, in John 6 still, and it says, The Passover was near, and he lifted up his eyes, and he saw there was this large crowd. And he asked Philip, I like how he just doesn't say he asked all the disciples. He, he kind of targets Philip here. And he says, where are we going to buy bread so that these people may eat? Where are we going to buy bread? Now, Jesus knew there's no way we can afford all this uh, to feed all these people. Uh, feeding people can be expensive, even if you find cheap ways to do it. I imagine, you know, we know later it says there were about 5,000 counted. A lot of times they just count the men. So there could be over 10,000, maybe even 15,000 people there. There's a large crowd there. Feeding that many people is expensive. Uh, I'm, I've been a part of uh, big conferences where we feed people, and, and, and I know it, it doesn't get, it's not cheap. 
And I like Philip's response. And it says, well, first it says, he said this to test them, like, for he knew what he was going to do. Jesus knew what we know. He was going to feed the people off of this small little, you know, lunch or maybe a family lunch. And Philip said, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough to get a little. And one of those is what? Is, is, a, uh, is a, one denarius is a wage for a, a day laborer. So he's basically saying even half a year or more than half a year of working isn't going to cover what we need to feed all these people. Now remember also, they weren't working all the time every day anymore. They were traveling with Jesus on this mission, you know, on this mission, you know, field. He's like, we don't have the money for this, Jesus. And it's almost, I can hear Philip just like, uh, I feel there's that, uh, that the added, not attitude, but the, the tone of voice that someone came to me and said, hey, Jonathan, um, we're going to feed 10,000 people um, out of the youth budget. I'm going, well, sorry. You know, it's just, we don't have money for this. You know, we don't have money to feed 10,000 people. You know, I don't have money to feed 10,000 people. You don't have money to feed 10,000 people. Philip goes, we can't do this. And then I like what happens next. And this is not really the focus of the lesson, but I like this side lesson here. Because it's not like Jesus pulled Philip aside and said it privately. He's asking Philip in front of everyone, in front of all the other disciples. And Andrew's there, Simon Peter's brother. And he offers up this boy. And he says, this boy, here's this boy. He has five barley loaves and two fish, but they're only just a start. They're not really going to get us very far. And then we see Jesus do the incredible. But before we see Jesus do the incredible, I want you to put yourselves in the disciples' shoes for a second. Jesus turns to you and he says, we got to feed these people. There's instant panic. If, if you've ever been in a, in a place where something has to get done and it's not going to get done, or, or you find out last minute you have to do something that you weren't expecting, there's that instant panic. There was a time, and this has happened probably more than once, but I remember very vividly, and, uh, and I'm sure Catherine does too, because you'll see why in this story. But I woke up one morning and I had overslept. And I looked, at my, I looked at my phone or watch or clock or whatever, and I was going to be late for church. You know, I'm the minister. I can't be late for church. So I hop out of bed. I start, you know, turning all the lights. I start getting dressed. I wake up, Catherine. I'm like, we got to get up. We're, we're running late. And she looks at me. She goes, what are you doing? I'm like, we got to get, we, we got to, I'm late for church. I can't be late. I'm the minister. She goes, it's Saturday. And I was like, well, I'm up now. And she was like, well, I'm going back to bed. I'm like, well, I can't. You know, my heart's racing. I'm super nervous. I'm like, I'm going to get fired. I'm late. And she's like, well, you get out of here. And she was, you know, I was like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to wake you up you know, on Saturday early. And uh, that was before kids, before the kid woke us up, before we really want to get up. But that was, that. We've, you've been there maybe, where there's this panic, and you're like, I have to do something, and it's, I'm not prepared. Uh, I just, how, how is this going to work out? This is what the disciples are feeling. Jesus kind of knows what's going to happen. He sits them all down. He says, have the people sit down. And then he does the unbelievable. He gives thanks, and then he starts breaking the bread, starts passing the bread. He starts breaking the fish up, starts passing the fish out. And I want you to, again, imagine you're the disciples. You're, he's having you pass this food out, and it just doesn't stop. You're walking, you're going down, you're, you're passing it down this row, you come back, and 
there's another basket waiting for you to pass out more food. And I imagine if I'm one of the disciples, I'm going, I'm going to Andrew, and I'm like, are you, there are just five loaves of bread, right? Just, just two fish? You know, you, you, did, did someone bring more food? Like, where's all this coming from? It just keeps coming, and it keeps coming, and it keeps coming. And then there's tw- after everyone ate, everyone got all full and, and filled, there's 12 baskets left over. I'd be pretty amazed. I, you'd be pretty amazed. I'm sure all the people were very amazed. And the people responded by saying, surely this is the prophet. They said, surely this is the prophet. The one they've been waiting for. He says, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world in verse 14. They saw the works. They saw all the food. And they're excited. But then Jesus does, again, something really weird. He goes and hides. (laughs) He goes and, and runs away. But he runs away. And the text tells us in verse 15, he perceived that they were going to take him by force and make him king. Because again, the Jews thought the Savior was coming to restore them to the world power they once were. He was going to be an earthly king. They were going to have this big kingdom. And there was enough people there that Jesus says, they're going to, they're going to have a coup. They're going to make a coup. They're going to try to overthrow Rome. And they're going to try to make me king. This is not good for my mission. This is not good for my purpose. And this is not, this is not good for the world right now. He escapes, he leaves, he goes off by himself to pray. And then, of course, what do the people do? Where's Jesus? Let's go find Jesus. So the people start, they keep trying to find Jesus, they keep trying to chase Jesus down. And after at least a day, they finally find Jesus, and they come to him, and then Jesus begins to give one of his most difficult lessons he ever gave to possibly one of the biggest, if not the biggest, crowd he ever had. And if I'm the disciples, and and as we read this, and you'll think this too, I imagine the disciples are like, what are you thinking, Jesus? This is your biggest crowd. Why are you scaring them off? Why are you giving them such a challenging lesson to your biggest crowd and going to possibly cause them to say, this is not for me? That's because Jesus demands a lot from us. God expects a lot from us. So we'll be looking at what Jesus taught here. And one of the things he taught them is when they found him, he turned to them and he insulted them at first. He says, you've only been looking for me because I gave you food. Now that's a summary. But he says, you're not looking for me because of the signs I've done. Even though it says that's that's when they first came to him. But once he fed them, they were chasing him. And Jesus knows this because they had a free meal. And it wasn't just a small meal. It was a big meal. And they didn't come to him because he was, of what he was teaching. They didn't come to him because of all the signs at that point. And he calls them out on it. Again, if I'm the disciples, I'm like, Jesus, don't, don't insult them. Just, just teach them what you want to teach. Let's not, let's not make them already angry. Let's not already give them a reason to be angry. But Jesus was calling them on their attitude. This crowd had this, this poor attitude of, maybe this almost entitlement attitude of, there's a guy, we can get free stuff. And we want to at least stay close to him as long as possible to benefit in our way from him. And then, this is when he begins to teach them certain things. The first thing he tells them is that they must believe. So as they're coming and as they found him, Jesus says this. Once he says, you've you've not come to me because of what I've done, they asked him this question by basically saying, well, what do we need to do? And he says this in verse 29. 
This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. He says, you need to believe in me. Believe in the one that God has sent, that being me. That's very much implied here. And the people, I love, I love their response here. And they basically say, prove it. Now, there's a lot of times when I hear people say some crazy things, I might say, prove it. Uh, when someone says, I can do this, I say, well, um, I need you to prove that. Uh, there's, a, there's a guy when I was uh, in, in high school, he came to one of our retreats, and he was maybe five foot, maybe five two. He goes, I can dunk. I was like, there ain't no way you can dunk. Well, he could dunk. I don't know how, but I watched him with my own eyes, and I was like, okay. He also said he could run a 4-4, and I tried to race him, and he ran pretty fast. He, was, he ran a 4-4. I don't know. Uh, he was some kind of athlete. I don't know where he was from. He didn't go to our church, but he was super fast, and I never would have believed him unless I said, okay, let's go out and right now, and I want to see you. And uh, it, was, it was impressive to see. But here, what had they already seen? They had already seen Jesus do signs. We say that very beginning. Then they saw him feed a large crowd with this lunchbox. And here they ask, and here's what the, the actual words they said. Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? They prove it. If I'm Jesus or I'm the disciples, I'm a little annoyed right now. I'm responding, what do you think I just did? Just, you know, a day ago, I fed all of you with five loaves and two fish, and you're asking me to do another sign so you can believe in me. If you've already seen me heal, you've heard me teach, what more do you want from me? Now, that's not how Jesus replied. But then they also went a bit further. They didn't say, what are you going to do about it? You know, what are you going to do to help us believe? Then they go back to their ancestors in verse 31. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So like our, our ancestors, when they were in the wilderness, Moses gave them bread. Again, Jesus could have said, what do you think I just did? I just gave you food. And I like what Jesus says here. Well, let's back up a little bit. He first then corrects their error. And he says, Moses didn't give you that bread. God did, first of all. He says, truly I say to you, it was not Moses, but my Father gives you that true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So now he, he, keeps, he does this very frequently. He flip-flops between the physical and the spiritual. Matthew talked about uh, the woman at the well was last week, and uh, last week, two weeks ago. And uh, he kept saying, there's this, give me some water, physical water. Then he says, if you come and drink from my water, you'll never be thirsty. So Jesus contrasts and compares the physical and the spiritual very often. And here he does the very same thing with bread. He says, no, God gave them bread, but then the real bread is he who comes down and gives life to the world. So physical bread, then spiritual bread. And then they're still confused. They're still thinking real bread. And then they say, just like the woman did, well, give me that bread. Prove it. Give me that bread. Like the woman, give me that water. I'll never have to come to this well ever again. Still not understanding. Still not grasping what Jesus is saying until he says this very bluntly. I am the bread of life. Very bold statement. He's saying, you must believe in me. You have to have this bread. They're demanding proof. And, he, and I imagine this authority of what she's saying this. I am that bread. Just like when, he, when the woman at the well says, I know there's a Savior, the Messiah. He'll teach us all great things. And Jesus says, I'm he, 
the one whom you speak to, that, that's, that's me. That same authority, that same presence, except their response is much different than her response. Her response was gladness, rejoicing, going to tell the whole town all she ever did and about this man and that how great he was and the whole town believed. Their response was very much different. Their response, again, I would say, is, is it's, almost, it's very sad, very depressing. But Jesus continues by saying, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me, there's that belief again, shall never thirst. And then he gives them that criticism again. You know, imagine you're the disciples. There's this biggest crowd he's ever had, and he does nothing but criticize them. He says, but I've said to you, you've seen me, and yet you don't believe. So again, he, he reminds them, you've seen what I've done. You know what I've done. You've heard what I've taught. You've seen the, the people I've healed. You saw all the food that I fed you with, yet you still don't believe. Then he repeats what he's saying again and keeps reminding them. The Father, all those who come to the Father, all those who come to me, I'll never cast out. He keeps remembering and reminding them, I am that bread, you must believe in me. And after he explains this, after he again continues to teach this, their response is, isn't this Jesus? Now they're questioning who he is. Uh, it's like, uh, if, and I know y'all know how this is, especially if you lived in Haleyville your whole life. When you meet certain people, a lot of times they'll say, I remember you when you were a little boy, or maybe when you were a little girl. When I go back to Baton Rouge, I get that a lot. And sometimes I'm like, I have no idea who you are. <laughs> or maybe I remember who you are, but um, you remember me? You know, it's one of those you know, weird things here. They're saying, they, they ask amongst themselves, and they grumble, and they're saying, this, isn't this Joseph's kid? Isn't this Mary's kid? Who does he think he is? They, they don't respond like the woman at all. In fact, they have this anger, this indignation, this grumbling, this complaining. They're saying, we don't like what he's saying right now. Whenever you're criticized, a lot of times you don't like it. And Jesus isn't really holding any punches back. He says, you're not believing. And you're really here for all the wrong reasons. You have to believe. And then, he doesn't just stop there. And again, imagine you're the disciples. Biggest crowd you've ever seen. Biggest crowd he's possibly ever spoken to. And then he says this next part. You have to eat my flesh. Okay, time out, Jesus. Let's not, let's not get crazy here. <laughs> let's not give them something even more to say this is too hard. And again, I would be confused. For us, we have all of the Bible to refer back to and to understand. But this is the first time they're hearing this. This is the first time they're hearing anything taught like this. And Jesus says, you have to eat from my flesh. Is that weird? What's that mean? And they asked themselves that the same thing. The Jews said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? But again, remember, Jesus frequently compares the physical to the spiritual. He frequently compares these two things. And, as, and he continues to remind them of these things. He says, now remember, he takes advantage of that opportunity again about the manna in the wilderness. And he even kind of, not a dig, but, but he kind of reminds them, again, very harshly, sure, your ancestors had bread from heaven. Sure, they ate the manna, but they died. 
if you eat from my bread, you'll never die. Now imagine again, woman at the well, if you drink from my, from my water that I'll give you, you'll never be thirsty again. I want that. He's telling them, if you eat from this, you'll never die. I want that bread. That would be my response. Then that's kind of their response, except they're still angry about it because Jesus is saying, it's, it's me. You have to participate in my flesh. You have to come to me. You have to believe in me. And he's saying, I am that bread of life. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Again, I am the living bread, in verse 51, that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So he keeps saying he will live forever, and I am the bread. Eat my, eat, eat my, you know, eat my flesh here. And he goes, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now he begins to reveal what he's meaning by that. And he's referring to his death. We know that because we know the whole story. They don't know that because they still think the Savior is going to come and we're going to have this earthly kingdom that'll never die, that'll never be destroyed, and we'll rise to the power that we once were when we were the Israelites on top. That's all they're thinking about. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm the bread from heaven. I'm come down and I'm going to give life, but I'm going to do that by giving you my flesh. Now, he's not talking about physical flesh, but he's talking about his death on the cross. He's talking about his sacrifice. He's talking about all of those things. And it makes sense when we fast forward to the end of the Gospels, and in Matthew especially, Matthew 26, when he's having the Last Supper with his disciples, and he breaks the bread, and he passes the cup, and he says, this is my body, this is my blood. They're eating his flesh, they're drinking his blood, and they still don't understand, even then, his close disciples. But he's, again, pulling back the curtain throughout his entire journey, through his entire mission, through his entire teaching life, by saying, this is my purpose. I've come down from heaven to give you living bread. Sure, the, and, and there is this comparison to the Israelites in, in the wilderness, to having bread from heaven so that they didn't starve, so that they didn't die in the wilderness. But Jesus is saying, but you're starving spiritually, and you don't even know it. You're here because I gave you food, but really you're still starving spiritually. You, you don't know who you are, but you need to believe in me. You need to participate in my flesh, which in this moment is accepting who I am. In this moment is following me, believing me, obeying me, completely giving yourself to me. And all the while, they just keep complaining. How can this man say... We have to eat his flesh. And then we see more, again, that curtain being pulled back. Verse 55, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So he's saying, this is how you do it. You abide in me. And then he says, I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live. He keeps saying, this is how you live. By accepting who I am, believing in what I'm doing. And then, you've already heard me say this over and over and over. He says, you'll live and you'll never die. That is the greatest blessing that God's ever given us. It's the most uh, powerful thing Jesus could ever say. And we see these are just a few verses. And I'll reread some of these. So in John 6, verse 33, Jesus said this. 
For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So there's that having life. Then verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So again, I'll give you life. Verse 40, he says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him, again referring to himself, and referring back to you must believe, he says, should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. So again, another, I will give you life. I'm promising you this life. Verse 47, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. So again, he's talking about what his bread will do, what his purpose is on coming to earth, giving his life for a ransom for many. Then verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. That bold statement. And then, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. So again, going back to all of these things we talked about. Eating our flesh, believing in me, and then I will promise that you will live. Not just live on earth, but live forever. And then he again restates his purpose. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. One of the most difficult lessons also contains one of the most essential truths. And that is, Jesus came to die for us, and we have to accept him. Now, he explained it in a way that was very symbolic, and perhaps there's some cultural references that we miss here, but he's giving them possibly one of his most difficult lessons. Because it starts with, he turns to the crowd, he sees them all coming at him, and he says, you're not even here for the right reason. And I'm going to tell you why. You, you don't believe in me, but you have to. You're not participating in my lifestyle or accepting who I am and receiving my flesh, and I'm going to give you my life. And you're not going to get life unless you fully submit to me. Meanwhile, you're just here for a free handout and to make me king. And they don't like that at all. They don't like his truth. They don't like what Jesus is expecting from him or from them. And then, unfortunately, we them back up. We see what I think is one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. So we have this whole culmination of this event. A lot of times when we look at I am the bread of life, we forget that he was speaking to the crowd he just fed. He fed them bread and fish. And he says, you thought you were full then, just wait till I give you my all. We forget that. But their response is the complete opposite, like I said, of the woman at the well. The woman at the well rejoiced. She went back to the town. She brought the whole town to Jesus and said, you've got to come meet this guy. This is the one we've been waiting for. The crowd says, isn't this Joseph and Mary's son? Isn't that that kid that was running around with us? And then in John 6, verse 66, Jesus knew they weren't really believing. Actually backing up in, in verse 64, and uh, he had just told them they'll have life. And in verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. That's how he ended it. He goes, but some of you don't believe a thing I just said. Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. 
He knew who would turn the back on him. He knew Judas was right there. He knew most of the crowd really didn't care about him if he got down to it. And then we see next, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. And then the saddest verse. John 6, verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Woman at the well runs to the city. You got to come meet this guy. The, the crowd that just was fed from five, fish, five loaves and two fish. Jesus said, I can feed you something that you'll never be hungry again and you'll live forever. And they say, thanks, no thanks. They say, that's too hard. What you're asking for us is too difficult. We want to do what we want to do. We were just here for the free food. We were just here because you were healing us. We didn't want to really make any life changes. Woman at the well. You're not living with your husband. You're right. I need to change my life. People, hmm, thanks, no thanks, Jesus. Your teaching is too hard. So the question is, what's our response going to be? Is our response going to be like the woman at the well that Matthew talked about last week? Or are we going to be like most of his disciples who were following him? This huge crowd that came to him, and he had a moment to, if he wanted to, he could have had, they could have had a coup. I'm convinced that there was enough people there. That's why he fled. There was enough, I guess, tension, enough uh, excitement in that crowd for there to be something that would have made history, you know. But Jesus instead taught them, again, going back to this, his most difficult lesson that contained yet really the most basic essential truth, which is, I've been here. I've been sent here so that you may live. And you need to participate in my lifestyle. How much of that life do you want? He's promised us life, but do you really want it? Are you comfortable with what you're doing? Are you comfortable with your opinions? Are you comfortable with, with your life choices? The moment we say, I no longer need to grow, is the moment we start actually dying. The moment we say, I've achieved maturity, is the moment that we've really lacked all maturity we've ever needed. We'll never attain full maturity. We always have to keep growing. And Jesus is saying, I need you to accept me, and I will keep helping you grow. You'll keep becoming more like me. But unfortunately, many of us are like these disciples. Many of them said, that's too hard. I'm going to step away and I'm going to do my own thing. Now in that moment, when they all turned, Jesus looked to his disciples, the twelve, and he basically, he, and, I, and I imagine Jesus is, is human too. He said this in a very, I heard a, a hurt, hurt voice. And he says, are you going to leave me too? He says, are you going to go too? And hopefully we, we, we will, blah, 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 blah. hopefully we respond like Peter did. When he said, you have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Hopefully that's our response. Now this morning, if that's not your response, we can pray for you, we can walk with you. But if that is your response, but you still need some encouragement, you're probably right. We're right there with you. We all need encouragement.
And if you're here this morning and you haven't put them on a baptism, so you can be raised in newness of life, so you can say, I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to participate in the flesh that Jesus offered, in the blood that he shed for us. Thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed. Thank you again for joining us, and please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember to love like Jesus.